Welcome to the Pet Peeves Podcast, where our host gives vague yet useful information about your pets. And now, your host, Albert Escobedo. Pet Peeves Podcast, you're all here. Welcome to the Pet Peeves Podcast, episode number nine, part two. We're going to do it again with my man, Richard Lucchese. Uh, thank you for being here again, Richard. How are you feeling? It's an honor. It's a privilege. It's a pleasure to be sitting here on a Tuesday of all days. And and then you tell me you want to record it. Now you're speaking my oh, language. Yeah. Here we are. We're doing it. Uh, this is the Pet Peeves Podcast where we talk about all things comedy and pets and animals and life and jokes and sadness and happiness. And we go across all spectrums of all boards and we are going to make sure we don't forget to mention uh, the podcast's internet presence. Uh, let's see. We're on Instagram at Pet Peeves Podcast. We are on Twitter at Pet Peeves Pod. And you can always follow me on both those same platforms. Twitter, I'm at Albert M. Escobedo and at Albert Escobedo on Instagram. Uh, we got Richard Lucchese here with at Holly You Back. Is that you guys on all platforms? Holly You Back is the name of our YouTube channel and where you can find us on all social media. By the way, is this podcast available on iTunes? Yes, you can find us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Thank you for reminding me of that. SoundCloud, iTunes, find us there. Pet Peeves Podcast. I'm working on the logo issue. Have you checked out my iTunes podcast logo? Yeah, you got to change that photo if you ask me. But Yeah, I have changed it, and for some people, it comes up properly, the right logo, and for some people, it's still my drunken face, and I don't know how to make it change. I've tried all the little tutorials, all the frequently asked questions, and I have, short of contacting somebody directly from Apple, I don't know how to fix it. Well, I'll tell you what, you are definitely in the lead for the most unique photo, profile photo on iTunes. <laughs> Yeah, hey, it doesn't look like anybody else's, but would you take pet advice from that guy? That's the question. <laughs> Maybe I was four and beers I, in. Yeah, that was a, a Korean night after a big show, and I was eating Korean barbecue and feeling really good about myself, and that's when I was still wearing hats to hide the baldness. So that's where I was at in that stage of my life. Hey, and I think it's a fedora of all things. Speaking of a night of comedy in Korea, are you in touch at all with Danny Cho? Uh, he and I have messaged each other back and forth on Facebook. Like he's congratulated me on little victories. I've congratulated him on little victories here and there. Like I saw his name on the marquee at the Laugh Factory one day, and I sent him a little message like, "Hey, congratulations! I see you doing big things." And when he was doing the uh, film festivals with his uh, K Town Cowboys thing, uh, you know, we we chatted here and there, but we don't keep in regular contact. Now. Have you seen what he's doing recently? No, what's he he's doing? in Korea and he's attempting to do stand up in Hangul. Oh, he's no shit. doing shows in Gangnam where he's attracting Korean audience and trying to introduce this new form because they do more sketch. Right, right. Oh, that's really cool. Good for him, man. I hope he does well with that. I've always, you know, speaking with him just in conversation at the shows we were doing in Korea, you know, I learned a lot. Actually, he taught me a lot. Uh, it was just at a time in my career when. I needed all the advice I can get from people doing it in the States. And he gave me some great advice. Kyle Kinane gave me some great advice. You know, so those are like Tom Rhodes gave me really great advice. Thank God we brought And even, uh, what's his name? James Adomian, really good influences on me. All these guys and Baron Vaughn and um, Ben Kronberg. Man, all these guys that we brought out to Seoul from the States, big influences on me. Yeah, I remember that night we hung out with Kyle Kinane in three alleys afterwards in Itaewon. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we all sat at the table, we asked some questions, it was like a cool little atmosphere. What a, what, what a great opportunity to be living in such an international city where people from all over the world, every country, they, they go there to study, they go there to work, they go there to do business, um, and then they get invited like Kyle Kinane to get paid to do comedy. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, that's, he did get paid from you guys to go there and perform, oh, yeah. right? We paid everybody that came out there. We put we paid for their flights. We paid for the hotel, and we paid them money, and they had like a per diem for taxi rides. And uh, we fed them as much as possible, but that wasn't in the contract. We didn't have to feed them, but we would. You know, we'd take them out for dinner and stuff. And they would come over for about a week, right? Yeah, they would come for a week. They would do uh, like, you know, the, uh, one show during the week, like our open mic on a Thursday 
they would do like a 10 minute set there. Then they'd do a headlining set on Saturday and Sunday and Friday they would have to do whatever they wanted. Wow. And whose idea initially was that? Who was the first big name or somewhat big it was, that came over? Brian Elward brought over Ted Alexandro. Ted Alexandro came, uh, I'm pretty sure, as far as I'm aware, that was the first big name. And he was a big comedian at the time. Still is, touring national headliner. Uh, hilarious dude. And that was the first big name we brought. And then I wasn't stand-up solo yet because Brian Elward was running it by himself. And then Brian Elward left. And then Rudy, Aaron, myself, and Jeff took it over, and we uh, started bringing over other people. And we talked about so many names. Like in the beginning, I I brought up the name Bill Burr, but that was before he was as huge as he is now. But still too big at the time that we could ever afford him. And he didn't even reply to any of our emails, or his publicist didn't reply, or whoever. Right, or whoever answers his emails. Right. Have you ever done comedy in Asia other than South Korea? Yeah, I did a headlining spot in Bangkok, Thailand, when I was living in Thailand. I, I, I was living on an island, so I flew and then took a bus to Bangkok, and then I did a headlining set there, and it went okay. Actually, it didn't go as well as I thought it would. The Korean material did not translate over to Thai life. Like I just assumed expat teachers were expat teachers, but my little Korean material didn't work like I thought it would, uh, but stuff about my mom worked, and... Some stuff about my fiance at the time worked, so that was fun. I mean, it was still a fun experience. Got to headline, and in Bangkok, who can say that? You know? Yeah. What was that like? I mean, was it a big room where there were a lot of expats? Was it Thai people coming to the show? Yeah, it was. It was a big room. I would say maybe. Well, I mean, not huge for for alt room comedy. It was big. I'd say maybe it was like fifty seater. You know, fifty seats, and they were all full. And I would say it was mostly uh, comedians and their girlfriends. Uh, and a few others, but I think everybody came out to see me because they advertised me as this headliner from Seoul, doing big shows here and there, getting on shows with Kyle Kinane, James Domi, and Tom Rhodes. So they promoted it really big. So I came out there, and it was like four or five of their local guys before me, and then I did my shit. Uh, but it was a packed room. Everybody laughed, and it was like overpacked. It was like standing room only. It was great. It was awesome, and I was, you know, I've, I expected to kill. Because I only had to do 20 minutes, and at that time I had like an hour. So I just squeezed in all my best jokes, and I thought I would do really well, but I did okay. But uh, the guys there, the other comedians, told me that they could tell that I was way more polished and professional than they were. Because their scene was newer. They had a newer comedy scene than we had in Seoul. And I had more experience than those guys, I guess. But there were some really funny guys there. Some of those guys were really fucking hilarious. I mean, just like you're going to find in any comedy scene, there's going to be a few guys that have really good sets. It's just like... You don't know how consistently they're having those good sets. And I mean, that's the hard part of comedy, right? Not just being funny, but being funny consistently. Would you ever consider doing comedy again back in Asia, like going over there specifically with a comedy purpose in mind? Yeah, of course. I'm open to anybody who wants to pay for me to go out there and uh, pay for me to do comedy or pay me to do comedy. I would definitely do it. It would be a blast. And luckily, I have all new material from then. So that is going to be fun to experiment because it's still, I still have influence right from korea so i feel like all my jokes would translate and then i also am talking about doing shows in belgium my friend michael the one who uh is the audio engineer for the pet peeves podcast i met him in korea then he was living in the states in northwest indiana where i'm from but he's not from northwest indiana he's from ohio but his parents moved to like the town over from where i'm from just by crazy coincidence so i met him out here uh, when i did my special he's the one who recorded my special and he edited all that. He did all the video, all the audio for my special. Check that out on YouTube. Don't judge me, Albert Escobedo. You'll find it. And then uh, he came out to, when I was living in L.A., he came to L.A. to stay with me because he was going to some music convention. He is a musician. So we, we bonded there. We hung out, spent some time together. And he's trying to, and now he's in Belgium with his fiance. She's from Toronto. They met in Korea, Korea all over the place influencing my life so they're over in belgium and he wants me to fly out there to record my next special he wants me to do my next special in a foreign land and record it and i'm like fuck yeah man if we could make that happen in 2020 that's what we're talking about 2020 like by then have another special worth of material to perform and save up the funds and do something fucking cool like that i love that some of those european nations are almost perfectly bilingual Second language oh, right. being English at this point. I think Amy Schumer did a stand-up show in Sweden not too far back, a year or two ago. Or I might have 
it might not be her, it might be somebody else, but I mean, she does an hour or whatever she does, and she's got them laughing the whole time, and they can't laugh if they don't understand what you're saying. Right. Yeah, they understand. No, they speak English. That's everywhere in the world, man. They well, speak English. Well, no, if you go to Maybe Italy, it's not perfect. I, I don't think in Italy is going to be the same as in Sweden. I think there's plenty of people in Italy that speak English, but I don't think you can go and do a stand-up show and they're going to all come out and understand what you're saying. The people that come to the show will. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think in Belgium. They're not going to come to the show. Have you been to? They don't speak Have English. you been to Amsterdam before? I've never been to Europe. Oh. Dude. <laughs> Well, I've never been to Africa either. I've never been to Africa I've been either. To, I've been to Asia. I've been to America. I've been to South America. I remember when I first went to Amsterdam in 2002, I was traveling. Right before my first stint in Korea, I, was, I had a few months off that summer. I went to Korea the first time in August of 2002. And in April of 2002, I'd lost my job. So between April and August... When I found out I was going to go and work in Korea in August, I had that whole time off. I went and did 10 or 12 days in Europe, and my buddy picked me up in Frankfurt, Germany. We drove straight to Amsterdam. We spent one night and then drove to Berlin. Oh, and wow. I couldn't believe how many—I couldn't believe everyone in Amsterdam spoke English almost without a noticeable accent. I mean, obviously, really? yeah, I mean, like, perfectly bilingual, and they also speak uh, Dutch or whatever they're—, they're look- Dutch or whatever. Right? Um, but then as soon as we took the car outside going towards Germany, we were in rural Holland. Like, there was no English. Going really? to the gas station, he was, I was that. like, oh, okay. So then I'm not going totally crazy. Not everybody speaks English, obviously. Yeah, that's the same thing in Korea. Like, in Seoul, you could pretty much expect to be able to speak broken English everywhere mm. you go. But when I lived in that small town, like Jechon, like, I was literally, like, pointing and grunting at shit because they couldn't <laughs> understand me. Like, and you get by fine. I mean, that's that's well, yeah, I got by. I mean, I did, I did, but that's why I had to learn quickly too. Uh, I had to learn because there was at times where I just couldn't live with myself, not knowing how to say basic things. Like, I just man, it's just laziness. Like, I'm not going to learn how to say the things that are going to help me with my day. Like, I learned how to count one to ten, like right away, because I went to McDonald's. And I literally had a hard time (laughs) trying to order the number two or number three or whatever. And I was like, this is fucking retarded that I've been here this long and I don't know how to say my number. So I sat down at McDonald's with my little language book and learned how to count one to ten in both ways. I just sat there at McDonald's. It took me about an hour, two hours or whatever. It was like studying for a test. And I just fucking learned. And then I never forgot because you use it all the time. Once you learn it, you're going to use it. The restaurant Korean comes quick because you got to eat every day and you're eating out you gotta eat. 50% of the time because the food is so delicious. Mm-hmm. It's going to be better than what you can cook yep. unless you're a gourmet chef. Absolutely. You know, and you go there to try everything, so you want to try all the different dishes. So you, your language in the restaurant becomes proficient, whereas other parts yeah. is way more challenging. Oh, yeah. Things that you don't talk about regularly are going to be more challenging. Yeah, that's what I would tell people when they ask me about my Korean. I'm like, I'm fluent in a restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) But you start asking me about politics, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. It would be way too difficult to keep up with. Yeah, I mean... I don't know those words. I I, I think in Korea, you go there and it's such a mindfuck. Especially if you're American, like we're surrounded, at least in Europe. If you're, say, you're from Germany, the countries that border your country don't speak, except for Switzerland, your language. So you're aware of this. You're aware that in Poland, right next door, they're not speaking German. In America, we don't have this. To the north, our, our neighbor to the north speaks the same language as us, except for in Montreal. Mm. We're right. surrounded by English only. It's a monoculture here. And so then when you go to Korea, like it's really like, whoa. Yeah, it I is. I had this friend of mine. Because even um, Mexico is to our south, but we hear Spanish because we're Americans, and it's not that different. Spanish to English is not as different as English to Korean. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, in our relationship with Mexico is sour at this point. Unfortunately, you know, the, the, the climate's not right. Um, you know, I wish we were welcoming them more. But I remember uh, getting to know some of my friends. when I, The first time I went to Korea, I was 26. Um, and one of the guys that I became good friends with early was a Kiwi. He was from Auckland, New Zealand. And he was the only teacher at his school in the town where we were. So he always was looking to hang out with foreigners because he, you know, he didn't have any at work. 
I understand. He described his first week in Korea as totally freaking the fuck out. Like, they <laughs> brought him to his one room. It didn't have any furniture. Nobody spoke English. The director at his school didn't speak English, but they brought him there. And they just walked into the school so he knew how to get to the school and told him what time he had to be there on Monday. Um, he was on his own. He had, he had no one to show him where the restaurants were, where, you know, anything. Yeah, I, I lived that. Yeah, I mean, I at least had... I lived, I lived that. You know, I, I was lucky. I mean, I'm, I'm old school in a, in a sense. People now, they can go online and find all the information, but there was none of that information available. No YouTube tutorials or videos to explain how to get a public teaching job versus a hagwon job versus a university job. Um, if you're from one of the native English-speaking countries in the world. I had a girl from England recruit me and then pick me up at the airport, bring me to my one room. She was working at the same school I was working at. She already knew how much I was going to get paid. She already knew that my apartment would be furnished. She knew that they were going to pay us on time. I was going to get the round-trip flight, so I was going to get my flight paid for all back home as well as coming in. They reimburse you. That was a lifesaver. I mean, she was showing me how to put one hand on my forearm when I was given money because everything was cash. Oh, yeah, the two-handed shit. My first job in Korea, I was getting paid cash t- bi-monthly, oh, like crazy. twice a month they would pay me. So I was making 1.9 million won. So I would get 950,000 won twice a month. Interesting. Yeah, and they would give checks. I mean, this was still during a time when I would say 30 to 40% of businesses had a credit card machine, but they would at all costs absolutely avoid it because they were avoiding those credit card fees. The fees, yeah. Yeah, so you had to go pay cash for everything. And if you wanted to travel to, say, Jeju, you would wire transfer in advance to the hotel or the hostel or wherever you were staying. But otherwise, no credit cards were being used. You would only have a card for an ATM. Yeah. Remember the wire transferring in Korea? That was such a huge thing. I forgot all about that, that you could just wire transfer cash to people's accounts right away. So convenient, and there was no fee at all. So convenient. You could do it at the ATM, and it was super easy. It was how you paid people. It's the opposite of here. Here, you don't want to give anybody your bank account information. You're afraid they're going to steal the money out of your account. There, you're like, take my bank account and send me money, please. Because the only thing you could do is send me money with it. Yeah. (laughs) It's the only thing you could do with that information is send me money. I, yeah. You know, I I would love to live there permanently if the population density wasn't so dense. Yeah, that's the problem, that there's only two populated cities in the whole country. Yeah, if you count Busan. Yeah, I'm counting Busan. Just Seoul and Busan. That's where like the whole country lives in those two places. I mean, you if you're from somewhere outside of there, you're going you're hoping to go there as a kid when you graduate high school to one of the universities because you've somehow made it. Now you're trying to get into Seoul National, Yonsei, or Goryeo-dae, Scott the Sky Universities. But if you don't, yep. I like I taught at one of the universities where if they didn't get into those top three, which were like Harvard, Princeton, Yale, um, then you got into my university, hopefully, Kyunghee, which was sort of like Cornell or Dartmouth. Like it was Ivy League level, but it wasn't like as high as Harvard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, That's good. Yeah, and I would get those students that I would – I was so curious, especially when I first got there the second time because I, I was fortunate enough to land a good job that paid me well and gave me good vacation time. I wanted to know if they were happy – Getting into Kyunghee, like they got admitted. Kyunghee was number ranked number eleven in Korea when I started in two thousand eight. By the time I left in two thousand fourteen, they had made it to number five and then bounced back to seven. But they were always top ten, so they could attract. And they the tuition was so high, even for Koreans, and they could attract all the best that didn't make it into the top three, which is going to be shit tons. Uh, almost everybody, like anyone, would take an yeah. admittance to Kyunghee. And yet some kids would be disappointed that they didn't get into Seoul National. Sure. I mean, that's the whole Korean debacle to me, that they're not, they're never satisfied unless they're the best. And not everybody could be the best. So there's just a bunch of depressed kids walking It would blow around. my mind. Yeah. I mean, I, because I, it was such a high quality education. All the, there was a lot of engineering professors and different engineering paths that they could pursue and major in. All the engineering professors, all with doctorates from high level universities in the United States, you weren't allowed to work there unless you had studied your doctorate here. So mm-hmm. 100% of those guys and women, they had gotten their education outside the Korea and then went back to Korea to get the job. And then once you get that job, you're more or less, you're set, you can coast. It's not, 
that difficult to keep that job once you're hired in, but it's very hard to get hired. Yeah, I never had I known then I would have gotten a master's degree and gone to teach in Korea just to have all the vacation time by teaching at a university. How cool would that would have been. Because I worked at a kindergarten hagwon most of the time where I had to be there. I got like 10 days off in the summer, 10 days off in the winter. That was it. Which, and the rest of the time I had which to Which is not that. terrible because you can take that 10 days and go to Thailand or Cambodia. Oh, yeah. No, I did. I took those days and did cool shit. I went to Japan. I went to Thailand twice. You know, I went to uh, – where else did I go? I feel like I went somewhere else. Oh, I went home once. You did know? you really? Yeah. Um, I had a good time. Can't complain. How many years total – when did you arrive in Korea, and then how long were you there? <coughs> I, Excuse me. I arrived March 3rd, 2009, and then I left December 16th, 2013. So I was there for uh, five years. So from the very beginning of 2009 to the very end of 2013. You arrived the same month as Steph. Oh, yeah? March 2009? March 2009. Or she got there end of February? No, she got there like middle of March. Yeah, man. That was such uh, a crucial time, man. Wow. I I was, uh, yeah, everybody came at that same time. And the end of 2008, because that's when the housing market crashed and people were getting out of college and not able to find jobs and nobody had any money. So everybody went to Korea. Uh, But I was going to say something earlier, and I'm glad I just remembered that my Korean experience was so crazy because I came to Korea on a complete whim. I had no real plan. I was under the table the whole way. I literally applied for the job on say Wednesday. No, I applied for the job on Monday. I got the confirmation on Wednesday. I got the plane ticket on Thursday. I was in Korea on Saturday. Like that's in, in one less than a week. I applied for the job was in Korea and then teaching as soon as I got there, as soon as I got there, I was the following Monday morning right away. Yeah. They didn't give me any chance. Actually, that timeline must be screwed up because I was there and teaching. Like, I think I got there on like, Let's see. Uh, you got there on a Friday, and they stay like, get your ass in there in right now, right away. <laughs> yeah, I went. I went from the airport. This is what I was gonna tell you. I went from the airport uh, where a guy was holding my name sign, you know, sign with my name on it, and I got into a van. He took me to a, a bus station, and the boss picked me up. The school Hagwan boss, what's his name? The Young Young Jung Nim or something? Mm. Wang Wang Jung Nim. So he uh, picked me up, and he was trying to tell me. His position, and he was saying, "I'm puss, I'm puss, I'm puss," and I'm like, "What? What? I didn't get it, didn't get it." And then maybe a couple hours went by, and I'm like, "Oh, boss, you're my boss," and he was so confused that I didn't understand what he was saying. The look on his face, his his brow was so furrowed because he was like, like a four word, you know, four letter word that he's trying to portray to me, boss, boss. And he thinks he's saying it right. Puss, puss. And it's an important word. He's trying to tell you his status. Yeah. Like, that's like, you know, you get that out of the way yeah. right away. He was so, I, I thought he was the bus driver. <laughs> bus, bus. <laughs> bus, bus. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, you're driving the bus. Good for you, buddy. You know? But I find out he's my boss. It was such a fucked up experience because I didn't have anybody to show me what anything was. The first day, that's how I get dropped off. They put me in a classroom immediately. I'm with a I'm teaching out of a book. The one Korean teacher who spoke English was there and she was trying to help me, but she had her own class to teach. So she like went and then I was in there by myself with a, a, a workbook and I gave each kid a workbook and then they finished the workbook and then the class was over. And then my boss was like, oh, that workbook was supposed to last you the whole year. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, I was supposed to take like a page of the workbook and then make a bunch of supplemental material from that page. You know, if it's the letter A we're learning today, then alphabet stuff, you know, alligator. And we do, we draw pictures of alligators for a week, you know, or whatever. Right, because on top of that, on top of tuition that parents pay for that school, they also pay for the book for X amount of months. Right, right. So I, he had to like totally fudge it. Like we had to do those certain pages over again, but it was fine. I learned a lot that first year about what a real teacher is. I had to learn how to be a teacher right away, you know, so I learned about curriculum and i learned about like making out my lesson plans like i learned all that right away because i knew that i the way i did it was just gonna fuck me over i wasn't gonna have enough material and i was gonna have to like uh improv the whole time which is too much when there's little kids and they don't know how to sit down you know you have to have something for them to do you have to have them doing something the whole time or you're gonna lose control Uh, or at least you you have to be 
like engaging them at all times. Go ahead. Kindergarten was the worst for me because I taught kindergarten too. Oh yeah. And I worked at ECC. Are you even familiar with that school? Yeah. Yes, I am. There was ECCs all around. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the owner was. I mean, ECC was flying when I got there in Suji. There was. 25 or more teachers. They had a huge kindergarten. Kindergarten was the big money maker for Hogwans. But our ECC went from kindergarten morning program all the way to lunch and then lunch break and then three to nine, nine, like 7.30 and nine o'clock being the high school students. Yeah. The boss, the owner, he let his wife run the whole thing because he couldn't really handle it. And he would go into his office, which was in the center of the, – the school was on two floors, but the center of the main floor where the reception was, was right behind – the office was right behind the reception. So it was in the center of the school, and the classrooms were kind of all surrounding his office and reception. He would go in there, close the door, and put his head on the desk and be sleeping. You could actually hear him snoring <laughs> through the walls, right? And this was in the middle of the day when all the kids were there. There was a window in the back of his office, though, like behind his desk, where you could see him with his head down sleeping. They had to put a curtain uh, up. I just see. Yeah, because he was, a, you know, whatever, dude. He's raking in the dough. Sure, he's a legit Ajashi, man. He's doing it. He's living the life. You know, and making his wife work. His daughter was just getting to that age where she could, she was taking the classes, the high-level classes, but then she could help out, too. That's awesome. No, good for him. <laughs> yeah, I, he could, well, he can make so much money, and I don't know, but I, I taught Korean kindergarten classes, and I they wanted me to teach science. Science is my worst subject. Like I'm fascinated when I watch science videos on YouTube. Sure, <laughs> <laughs> like I think that's cool, um, but like trying to like oh here this is it, and then we were doing little experiments. They they challenged me. It, it wasn't. It's hard. Yeah, it wasn't it, it. It wasn't favorable at the beginning, dude. It was it was hard as fuck. But I got good at it. I mean, it suits my personality. Like I'm a fucking comedian, so I can be entertaining. Especially stand up comedian, I could stand in front of kids and try to make them laugh for an hour. It's no big deal. I could do that. And then the next class comes around, and I'm doing my act again. You know, and it's fine. I didn't hate it. The hard part for me was like the bad kids, of course, the the parents that were needy. And then the other teachers who sucked at their jobs and then the whole Korean system of where my boss could do and make up rules as he went along. And we all had to pretend like that was OK. Like, he, you know, he would make mistakes and we couldn't call him on it. But anytime we made a mistake, he could call us on it. And I'm just like, that's I'm too American for that. I can't let my boss yell at me. You know what I mean? Like, that's just fucking retarded. Um, well, and but in Korea. I, I was wondering, once you finished that first job, how easy or difficult was it for you to seamlessly transition to the new – was Ilsan the second place you landed? Yeah, I was in Ilsan right away, but I, and I upgraded a little bit because it was an afternoon job. I worked from 1 to 9 as opposed to like what I was doing at my first job. I was there from 8 to 5. I was there from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., and I did what you were just talking about. I taught kindergarten up until like 2 p.m., and then the elementary school kids would come, and I would teach them from 2 to 5 or whatever, you know, and I would have to do that. Uh, and I hated that because it was like twice as much work and still getting the same paycheck. So the next school I worked at, it was kind of the same way too, though, except for we would do 1 to 9. So we would do elementary school and then middle school. It'd be like that. I would teach elementary school from, you know, whatever, 1 to 6, and then I would teach middle school from 6 to 9, and then I would be done, and I could go do stand-up comedy. And then get drunk and sleep in the next day because I didn't have to work till one. It was great. It was awesome. That was the best fucking situation except for I would get out of work at nine and I still had to get from Ilsan to, to like Itaewon, which was like an hour away. So I wouldn't be able to get anywhere till like 10 p.m. But luckily, comedy shows run late. So I would be all right. And, and uh, I remember going to Ilsan. Did you like living there? It was kind of a modern city, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, man. It was great. I had all the amenities. I had like a it was like a new apartment building as opposed to where I lived in the small town where it was a tiny old like fucking traditional apartment building. This one was modern. I had all the amenities. I lived right next to something called like the uh, Fiesta Dome. So there was every kind of restaurant you could want, foreign food, Japanese food, Chinese food, Korean food, American food, Mexican food. There was like an Outback Steakhouse there. You know, they had a McDonald's, a Burger King, a Dairy Queen or no, a Dunkin, whatever, you know, and. It was great. And then we had a giant movie theater. And then we had the Ilsan Park, a giant lake. 
And so we had all the like, you know, the so, uh, cherry blossoms and the bike rental and the fishing. And uh, I would go there and skateboard with my friends when they would come by. Um, what else did we have there? Uh, um, we had a e-mart. You know, I never had an e-mart in the small town that I lived in. Uh, that was nice. And then we had the subway system. I mean, anywhere you live where there's a subway is fucking awesome compared to where I was living before. Where I had to take a two-hour bus to get to Seoul. And all that you just described had was all within walking distance from your where you live. Oh, yeah, right outside my door. My apartment building was connected to the Fiesta. How can you beat attached. that? It was amazing, except for that I had to get to Itaewon, and it would take a while. So then I lived in Hanamdong. Hanamdong is bordering Itaewon. So that was the best place because Hanamdong is like one of the top six richest neighborhoods in Korea. I lived right next to all these diplomats. It was like right on the, the road with all the um, uh, embassies. Right. So we, it was amazing where I lived there. My apartment building wasn't that nice, but everything around me was nice. Really nice restaurants, really classy little bars, jazz clubs, and then in walking distance to Itaewon. That- so like literally could walk there in five minutes. That was great. And then I lived in Hebangchon where you came to visit me that one time after I had came back from Thailand. Yeah, right. That was a nice little Oh, that was an amazing location. You were right on the main strip, just kind of off, just just enough, far enough off so you people didn't know where you live, but then you could immediately right. get out to wherever you need to go. Yeah, man, I had some great spots. I lived in Ilsan for, or no, sorry, in, um, what's, where's the airport? Incheon. Incheon. I lived in Incheon for a few months, too. I think you were already gone by then, no? I think we were. Because I left after No, you? you left before us. I left before you, so I was in Incheon for a little bit. That's when I was still engaged. Uh, that was right before I came back to the States. I lived in Incheon, then I lived in Hebangchon. So I only lived in Hebangchon for like two or three months. That didn't last very long. No, yeah, and the Hanamdong, the one right before Hebangchon where you're describing where the diplomats live, that's where BTS lives yeah. now, too. Oh, yeah? I actually ran into JYP right outside my apartment building. He was coming out of a, like a, it was, it was a speakeasy. Shut up. Because there was no sign, but it was right at the bottom of my steps. It was a speakeasy, and I'm walking home, and he's coming out, and it's JYP. And I'm like, hey, man, I'm a big fan. Just wanted to say nice to meet you. And I shook his hand, and he smiled, and he's like, nice to meet you too. And I almost took a picture with him, but I chickened out. And then I ran upstairs to go tell my fiance at the time. Well, at the time, she was my girlfriend, and she was just like, what? And we ran downstairs, but he was already gone. Uh, but it was a cool experience. That's like, you know, I'm a, I'm a JYP fan. He's a cool dude. He's doing big things. Can't. Can't be mad at Some him. Some of the biggest in Korea, his group under, uh, signed under JYP twice is probably the most popular girl group at the moment, K-pop. Who's that? Twice. That's the name of the group? Twice? twice, yeah. They are the predecessor to Girls' Generation. Predecessor? They're the... They're the came after. That's right. They came... They so Because the, there's nine of them. Girls' Generation had nine. They were comparing them to Girls' Generation when they started off, but... Twice now, I mean, they upload a video to YouTube. It's the hottest thing. It's on Billboard. And Gotta check it out. Yeah. I can't remember what was popular when I left besides Girls' Generation. There was a couple other. I mean, besides the guy groups, too, uh, BTS was already gaining traction. And there was, um, I don't know, man, G-Dragon's group. What group was Big that? Big Bang. Big Bang was big. And then there was... Uh, EXO. Who was the one that uh, Jay Park was a part of? Jay Park was in a group. 2 p.m., I think. 2 p.m. was still big. I love his music now, man. His solo stuff is just slamming. Yeah, man. I got to hang out with that guy, too. That was the other part about me doing comedy in Korea. I got to hang out with borderline celebrities all the time. Like, every once in a while, I'd be in the room with somebody cool. Like, I was in, uh, hung out with Ailey. She's huge now. Do you know who yeah, that is? Yeah, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, she's American, and she was friends with my friends. I hung out with her maybe two or three different times. Like, just randomly. And then she got huge. She got huge right after the last time I hung out with her. Where did you guys uh, hang then, out the first time? Uh, we did, like, you know, next to the highway camping. You know how they have camping right next to the highway there? <laughs> we did that one time. It was her birthday. It was her birthday wow. party. I went to it. And then another time we went to one of those uh, underground hookah bars in Hanamdong. And it was, uh, that's the, the time that we were with Jay Park, too. And it was, these other, and it was all these other Korean rappers. And then another time we were at uh, vi- uh, Venue, Venue in Itaewon. I love that place. Downstairs. Yeah, we were there. So, I mean, th- those are just random crazy things I got to do. And like you were saying before, when I was doing well in Korea, like I was doing okay as far as like popularity. Like I was able to go places that other people weren't going. I was getting invited to parties other people weren't getting invited to. You got to rub elbows. And that was 
man, just a cool experience. I mean, just to be in a fucking faraway country and have cool shit happen like that when I could have done like everybody else and just sat in my apartment, drink soju and beer on my time off and go on hiking trips or whatever, you know, but I decided to do something different. I'm really happy yeah, that the internet developed in terms of video right around the same time that we arrived to Korea and that I and then yeah. also you and uh, my wife Steph decided to pursue some sort of content creation early on in our stint in Korea. We should talk about that, man, because I know that we're running short on time. Richard and I, in the very beginning, were doing comedy videos together. So Richard would come up with ideas or at least premises, and then we would try to shoot them. We did some stuff with uh, Elliot Ashby. We did some stuff with uh, Danny Cho, and we did the one with Jake Jake, uh, Payne's. So we did, the, I guess, the most popular one, in my opinion. I know Jake Payne's has more views, but the Begging for Beer. Begging for Beer is probably one of my favorite projects of all time. Like, I don't think I'll ever top it. It just went so well, and I was so on point, and you were on point, and everybody we interviewed, like, we got all these interesting people, and then you edited it, and it came out so well. And I know I told you that my friend Gus called me one day and told me that it was on Korean television, but we could never find it. Remember I told you that? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I... <laughs> That was so early on. That was before Hollywood started when we would just try to. Oh, you were at KRTV. Yeah. KR.TV.KR or something like that. What was it? KRTV.TV. There it was. That was the big. Yeah, man. Big Vice was a big influence for me. I remember watching those oh, okay. videos where they snuck into North Korea. And that was in 2007. And they, were, they weren't available on YouTube. They were only available on Vice.com. Or Vice.tv, or I can't remember. Uh, but they were, I, it was fascinating. Nobody had ever seen video of North Korea before Shane Smith snuck in there. And I literally think that they had the camera strap like around the neck and then just hanging here. I mean, I don't know for sure. I should, I, I'm sure it's available yeah. somewhere on the internet at this point, but they would just press record and then just stand there. And so there's just two of them. And one of them was because you weren't allowed to videotape at all. You had your minder and they would just take you around to the state sponsored tourists and you had to pay out the wazoo and fly in from China, which is actually not how they still do it. But now tourism videos and going to tourism in North Korea is all wide open and so many people have posted online these days. But that was a big influence for me. I wanted to, I wanted to do documentary film after that. And so I got, that's cool. Yeah. So, you know, we bought the equipment and we kind of started pursuing it that way. Um, and you, you sink a lot of effort in and you keep going, you keep going, you keep going. And you need some, you need more than just feedback from friends. You need, you need something to catch on online or you just can't sustain mm-hmm. it, you know, cause you right. got to have money to pay for your food and keep the electricity on all that. Um, and so eventually we got away from the documentary filming because it was, not making money. It was so challenging to go and work with other people sometimes. And then, you you know, occasionally they wouldn't be thankful because of something that might have happened that was awkward. And so we just decided to do YouTube, turn the cameras on ourselves. We're the ones that we can rely on the most. And I thank God that Stephanie, Absolutely. like, Stephanie bought into this idea of, like, let's let's just keep trying. Let's just figure it out till we get to the point where we have figured it out. And, you know. Well, I, I feel like I was there for the, the time where it was like one thing and then I wasn't there when it changed over to the new thing because I remember we were sitting in your house recording shit with Elliot yep. and I was very uncomfortable. I didn't like it. I didn't like it. So I was like, there, but there, I knew there was something there. Was there was something like, we have there to keep for trying. sure. Right. We have to keep trying because we have good chemistry, you and I, and you have the, the vision and the drive like I have and we have different talents. So it's like, okay, there's something there. And even what we made with Elliot – it came out good. Like, even though I didn't like the process of making it, I like the process of uh, the beginning, the pre-production and the post-production. I like that part. That's another thing about me not like being, not liking to be in front of the camera too much. And if it's scripted, like what we did on the street, not scripted, I'm golden. That sounds like fun. Scripted in front of a camera. I don't know why it makes me nervous. Well, and then that other time where we filmed your comedy interview in Ilsan in your little one room apartment. Oh yeah. That was we cool. We filmed that on a shoestring, like last minute you had to go to work. So we just snuck yeah. in the last 30 minutes or whatever it was. And you had, we just put you in a little corner with a chair. We filmed it. Yeah. And when we were done, do you remember what you said to me? No. I don't think that turned out well. We're going to have to do that again. And I <laughs> thought, I was like, okay, yeah, well, you know, if that, that's what we got to do. And I, you know, you went to work and I went back home and 
Uh, we never filmed yeah, it again, man. and that video lives on Vimeo. And you love it's like yeah. it was at the time one of your favorite videos. It's still my favorite. I, I show that to everybody. That's my go-to like profile video. Like if I'm sending a a, a press kit, I use that as an example of my roots of like my beginning of my comedy yep. career, and that my mentality hasn't changed at all. Like what comedy does for my life, it allows me to live like a superhero, where I'm one thing in front of all the people that don't know any better, and then I'm something completely different when I step on stage. You know, I'm a different thing. It's not the same thing anymore, and it's a uh, Man, that's that video and the begging for beer video and even the chopsticks videos, man. Those are like my favorite. Those are so fun to do and fun to watch. And it's just different than other stuff that I do. You know, and it just came from somebody else, too, that you put it together. Oh, and you put together my highlight reel, too. So that's something I use all the time also. So you're a big part of my uh, ongoing comedy career and future, my career, present, future and past. Look at you. You know what it is? We make so many videos for our personal YouTube channel that editing is a piece of cake now. I bet you fly through it. It's, I, bet. I, you know, it's a little like dirty secret that I don't want to reveal to anyone how quickly I can edit. It's not a dirty secret. Click, 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 click. No, man. I, I know if you're good at something, like I said, my job, I'm really good at it. So I could do it really fast. So that's making, gives me time. So I get it, man. You're a fucking master. You put in your 50,000 hours or yeah. whatever. Yeah. I mean, I, I really, I, all I ever wanted to do, the main goal, even with the very first uh, short documentary movie I made, the Sunung, the, the Korean University test entrance exam back in 2009, the goal was just to get people to watch. And I was less concerned with, oh, I want to make this type of video and more concerned with, I want to make something that people enjoy and that, and that I can reach. It's kind of the reason why I got out of teaching after I taught for 12 years, but I, I could see that I, you know... I was good at it. I was good enough at it where I could I could engage the kids from the first minute of class until the end and keep them going and make them learn and give them homework and, and stay on top of their learning and hit all the language parts because we were teaching English. Um, but I felt like my audience was too small. Like I'm really good at this and I'm yeah. reaching 30 or 35 people. I'm like, how can I reach time, more people? Um, and video and the internet was the answer. It came at the perfect time, and I'm glad we linked up. And then somehow you went from guerrilla documentarian to uh, the Korean K-pop culture. And where, did that come from Stephanie? We worked, Stephanie and I, together for several years before we figured out what we should actually work on together, officially, which okay. is now Hollywood back. She loves Korean dramas. I mean, she actually loves Japanese dramas and Korean dramas. It was Japanese dramas that drew her to Asia first and actually Japanese anime and manga before that. She can tell you. But when we finally were like, oh, what can we do that I like and that you like too? And we figured out it was mm -hmm. Korean dramas. Our YouTube channels branded around Korean dramas. And it started May of 2012, but we didn't start going going until September of that year. But like, you know, like, and then you so, but you and I knew each other way before that. We did a whole bunch of projects before September 2012 that right. were successful to my eyeballs and your eyeballs and people who knew us, but yeah. they didn't. Didn't transcend. They didn't transcend it, to the other. It didn't uh, spread on the internet like we would have liked. No. And then you started doing this new thing and you're getting all these views and I'm like, holy shit, Richard's taken off in this other direction. And that's uh, when I first came home. Maybe you had already been doing it for a while, because I came home a year ago. So you guys have been doing Holly You Back for, since you said when? 2000, so, when? September 2012, we started uploading regularly. Okay, like, so regular content. Like four, four or five years ago. So it just seems like, man, it just seems like time flies. So I guess it's when I first came back from Korea, not when I came back from L.A. So when I first came back from Korea, you started going in that direction. Man, and my life was so up in the air at that time. And now, hey, everything happens well, man, I'm... It's just hard. It's hard to uh, fathom that span of time. So many things changing from the time we met to now. From the time we met to now, it's crazy. But uh, I'm glad. And now you guys are doing painting. So that's the next thing, huh? Steph started doing the paintings. When did that kick off? Uh, in Korea. Oh, yeah? She's been doing it that she, long? We ordered a, a case of canvases in 2010. And she did some painting in 2010. And then kind of set it down for a few years and then picked it back up seriously in 2013. She, we, I mean, you were at our house in Korea. We had three rooms. Yeah. Yeah. We would literally 
clear out the bedroom because she likes to paint on the floor on her knees mostly. So she would, I would let her have the space and close the bedroom door. She would paint and I would leave the house or I'd whatever. I wouldn't see anything until she was done. Um, wow. And she started doing it regularly. And then the summer 2013, we came back here to visit family in New York and Pennsylvania. And she painted here and 2013, those paintings are now relatively scarce. Wow. Cause there weren't that many cause she didn't paint that many. And sure. you know, I mean, dude, there's, no, it looks like she's, I see paintings. All, those paintings behind you are amazing. She's holy shit. She's pumping them out. It's uh, got that. more over here. You can see. Wow. She's got like one, two, three. I see stacks of them over there. I see about 10, 20, 30, maybe 50 paintings that you've just showed me right now. Maybe more than that. I cannot express enough how humbling it is to actually live with someone who has legitimate talent. Yeah, and drive and dedication, you know, that's a lot of work. It's so weird. I mean, it's, it's a, I'm blessed, but I also don't, I try not to take anything for granted anymore because life is short and I feel like, man, I better enjoy today. I don't feel like I have tomorrow. Yeah, it's a good perspective. It, well, and it's hard. I I, th- I just think I think for a lot of people, it's just it's just really really hard. And so the only thing that I can really control is myself. And uh, it's it, life is a roller coaster, man. Nobody has a perfect life. I had a really stressful day yesterday. You know, I mean, you know, I don't even want to get into it. it. But like this is like I if I can you. sit on a Tuesday with you and record something like this, this is what I want to be doing. Yeah, and you got to imagine if you weren't making any more content i you know you and i wouldn't have so much in common or reason to stay in touch you know like there's a reason why i stay in touch with henry because he and i are writing Mm. sketches together henry and i are writing together he's working on production right now they're filming for this last short that we wrote together so like my friend caesar that i have in la we still write roast jokes together we're still actively making each other productive so like there there are certain friends i keep in my life and they're not for no reason it's because i don't have a lot of free time i have a new growing family you know, I'm trying to marry a woman who already has a kid and we have a dog and now I have the podcast. And so it's like you always have um, obstacles as far as time goes. So, I mean, I try to keep my friends with people that I have more in common with. And it's usually creative types that are actively trying to put content out there. And uh, I think it's important, man. I think we're all like creating time capsules. Like This is yeah. all really important work. I This is not nothing. You know, with uh, like you said, with Steph's art, now that those paintings are scarce, like that's a little – Something that it's priceless, really. It's really priceless. I know you could put a price on it because we all got to eat, but it is priceless. Like I'm looking at the work behind you, and man, that 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 could be in somebody's home forever, and it's never gonna be ugly. It's never gonna be out of place. It's never gonna be you know not wanted. It's a beautiful painting. And on top of all that, the way the trend in society is going, where machines are taking over humans' jobs, the artistic and the creative aspect of our lives is growing and being enhanced and and right. you now you know the internet's leveled the playing field for people who want to pursue this um if you have the drive and you have it in your mind that it's not going to happen right away it's only going to happen with hard work and you know and it's something that you could totally agree with there is no failing there's only steps along the way to get to the point where you right. are happy or satisfied with what you decided to pursue earlier on Absolutely. I think that's where I've landed. I've landed on being happy that I've pursued this particular thing that I call comedy. And it's really just trying to make other people have something to be entertained by. But in a specific way, I want you to laugh. And I know that this Pet Peeves podcast isn't always ha-ha funny, but we, you know, we, we're characters. We squeeze some jokes in there and some, some laughs, and it doesn't always have to be funny. You know, I, I, I always admit it that this podcast is modeled after Joe Rogan Experience podcast. And sometimes... You know, you're just listening to Joe Rogan because you want to learn something new or hear an interesting perspective or at least listen to interesting people talk about things that you're not familiar with. You learn a lot through that. And that's what I mean by like time capsules. Somebody could 
be like, hmm, I wonder what life was like in Korea in 2008. And Google search and our podcast comes up and they're like, holy shit, these two guys. And then they Google search us and then they find what I've been doing in comedy and what you've been doing with YouTube. And it's like, holy shit. And then they go down that rabbit hole where they can live my life for a little while. They find my Instagram. They find my blog I used to do. They find my video log I used to do. And they can be like, holy shit, and paint a picture of what I used to be like way after I'm gone. You know what I mean? Yeah, I worried that everything's going up into the cloud. And, you know, one day it's just going to go poof and all of that data is going to be gone. <laughs> hey, man, I got memory cards. My memory cards. <laughs> I, I got uh, Hundreds of hours on memory cards scattered through my bag of electronics. Yep. I have I have terabytes and terabytes of video that haven't seen the light of day because Hollyback became such a priority that we wanted to focus on that. Um uh, and and you know, that's the direction we've gone and some of this other video that uh, I worked on with you and when I filmed documentary stuff. Um, that might not have been as pop culture popular, didn't get uploaded mm. to the internet yet. You know, it'd be crazy if there's one day there's like a, a place that you could send all your old material to and they categorize it and put it into a database with all other people whose content is similar. You know what I mean? So you'd be able to like look it up one day and find other like-minded or at least liked the same kind of material where like some computer and it's like, Oh, it's about cars. And then it goes in this car category. And then that would be cool. Cause I do have all these memory cards. Like I used to have a, a camera on my dashboard for when I was driving for Uber. Oh. Right. So, and I saw that video of that Uber driver getting attacked. So I was like, Oh shit. I started feeling vulnerable. So I bought a camera for my car and I used to film everything. Cause it was just on a loop. It was like on a five hour loop. So all you'd the time. film so where like you after five hours, you'd film out or you'd film good. inside your car. It depends on who I was with. If it was somebody sketchy, I would film them. If it was like regular people, I'd film out. Or if even if it was like a cute girl, I'd film in. You know, it, was like, it, dep- it depends on what kind of mood I was in. Because uh, sometimes I would try to chat with them, you know, and I would turn it in just to see if I could make them laugh. I would like just try to uh, trap them in a scenario where they have to hear my material. And I would just start saying crazy shit just to see how they would react. But it was never malicious. It was always funny. Uh, and I got some good content, but I never did anything with it. I had this idea of doing like... Uh, Taxi cab confessionals, but with Uber. It's a great idea. There's so many great ideas. See, I'm one person, and I have ideas mm. that I would love to pursue, video ideas and things that I'd love to upload and share. Sometimes political, because I, I get heated with certain things, and I want a better life for everybody. A little venting. Yeah, but I don't, I don't have enough energy. I mean, I just don't have enough time and energy to do all the things. That's when you got to start hiring Never employees, and you know these, yeah. these things get complicated. I was thinking about that. I want to hire somebody to do my... my uh, website because it's just sitting there i bought it and i did some stuff with it but i don't know what else i I tried to figure out how to make it look the way i want it to look and it was just taking too much time uh so that'd be like a new skill i have to learn on top of i just learned how to produce a podcast like that's my newest skill and speaking of that we're all running out of time for this pet peeves podcast and tell me about your kitty cat you found it in korea or what you guys adopted it in korea we have two kitties and they're both russian blue Maki is from Korea. We brought her back from Korea. We got her there when she was a kitten. And Min Ho, who I thought I saw, he might be right over there outside on the front porch. He is two years old. And we got him here. Um, so we have two Russian blues. We have a girl and we have a boy. And they couldn't be more polar opposite personality if we tried. Boy and a girl, polar opposite personalities. I mean, that's, that's pretty normal cat. Is it the boy jumps in the shower with me? Oh, that's not. He gets underneath and he gets the water all on his neck, and then he goes running. Like even this morning, he jumped up on the kitchen sink, and I'm filling up the Brita, and he's sticking his head underneath while I'm filling the Brita. (laughs) That's weird. Does he try to drink it, or he just wants to get wet? He drinks it. He puts his paw underneath it, and then licks his paw. He gets it underneath, like takes a shower, he bathes, he does everything with water. That's weird. I wonder if that's a Russian blue thing. I don't. Why? Why that breed of cat? Did you guys just like the way they look, or was it random? I am the guy who's allergic. Ah, uh, what they don't they don't have any pet dander? Is they that, have is a they're... hypoallergenic coat that allows for people who are mostly allergic or have reactions to cat dander or cat fur to not have those same reactions. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, there's uh, hypoallergenics yeah. kind of up for debate, but I think if I think it's like totally affirmative. No, I mean, I, I know it's a popular breed, but I thought it's just because they're really smart and they're beautiful cats. 
Let's see. It says uh, on Wikipedia, I just looked it up really quick. The Russian blue is a cat breed that comes in colors varying from a light shimmering silver to a darker slate gray. They develop close bonds with their owners and are sought out as pets due to their personalities, beauty, and coat. It is the short, dense coat, which has been the hallmark of the Russian blue for breed for more than a century. This dent coat stands out from the body, and one can draw patterns in the coat that will stay until one smooths them out again. They also consider to be hypoallergenic. Okay, good. Let's see what it yeah, says. Yeah, they're super um, loyal. The origins. Well, I mean, no, I mean, my friend had one growing up when we were in college, and it was like a great cat. So, I mean, I don't have too much experience with cat breeds in particular. Most people just have. Uh, mutts you know the domestic short hairs long hairs medium hairs not too many people are coming in with their purebred cats like they are with purebred dogs but i'm always interested with cat people because i grew up as a dog person but i love cats i like working with cats cats are harder to work with but i do appreciate them what about uh your cats have they ever been sick they ever gotten ill we've taken them to the vet they they don't really like it but I mean, now it's 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 interesting. We first brought Minho home. I mean, Maki is totally independent, and Minho was a little kitty. There's actually a vlog. There's several vlogs. We were daily vlogging when we got Minho, so you can go and see all those videos of him being tiny like this big, and he's super cute. Um, and then the first reaction when we introduced, he was up in the room all day, and then in the evening, Maki came up and they met, and Maki just growled and hissed and then left. <laughs> and like a week went by, it was... Like, not a good situation, but, dude, my wife is such a cat lady and patient and loving and understanding and she balanced. She knows how to give them both the same amount of attention, even though they require yeah. different things. And I, these are things I'm not good at. No, man. That's mom. You know, I've been able to. Mom instincts. Yeah, I learned from her, you know, how to be a cat person. So, like, now I love these guys None. to death, but I didn't, you know, I didn't grow up with cats. Yeah, I think uh, it's always a risk introducing two cats to each other, especially if one's been around longer than the other. They might not get along. But I'm glad you guys had the good cat experience. Um, so, like, Russian Blue looks like a breed that we're recommending to all the <laughs> podcast listeners. Uh, but, again, as I always have to give my disclaimer, I'm a veterinary technician, not a doctor, so you could take my advice with a grain of salt. I'm pretty sure I'm giving you guys good advice. Everybody I've ever met with a Russian Blue likes the likes the breed. Uh, all, all the Russian Blues I've met, good breeds. Um Whatever, but take your cats to the vet regularly. So every time they go, it's not a, an, a traumatic experience. Don't only go when they need vaccines. Don't only go when they need nail trims. This is what I recommend for pets in general. Go just to get them weighed. Go just to let them get seen for whatever, you know, just to get pet. You know, just let the receptionist pet them for a bit and then take them, take them back home. Make it be a two-minute visit. So every time they go, they're not stressed out. And also uh, play with their feet a lot at home so we can cut their nails without them freaking out. And get your cats to drink water. That's one of the biggest problems with cats. They have uh, kidney failure when they're older because they don't drink enough water. So uh, get those, what do they call those, uh, water yep. fountains, you know, for we cats. Those are great because they like the sound. It attracts them. And cold, flowing water is good for your cats. Stale, stagnant, bowl left on the floor. Cats don't want that. Cats want flowing, fresh water. So that's why they're drinking out of water faucets and drinking out of anything where they could hear it dripping. They want to go drink out of that. So keep that in mind. Prevent kidney failure in your kitties later in their life. Canned food is a good idea. There's a lot of water in it, but it's bad for their teeth. So you got to take that into consideration. If you're feeding your cat all canned food, then later on they're going to need a dentistry, which is expensive. Okay, so that's my cat advice for you guys. any questions on the internet? Yes. On Facebook, all you bastards that don't post your pet questions, but then later on send me direct messages when I don't feel like answering questions. <laughs> Suck. So I'm going to answer the one question that I did get today from my cousin Robert. He asked me, uh, I know you got to go soon, so we're going to wrap all okay. this up. My cousin Robert asked me, why are some dogs smart and why are some dogs dumb? <laughs> Which is a stupid question, but... Uh, Breeding has a lot to do with it, and I would say mostly it's the way the pets are uh, raised. you got to train your pets, sit, come, stay, down, lay, speak. Like Those are all important things just to teach your pet basic commands. Uh, and when you're teaching your pets commands, I recommend learning how to do it properly. Clicker training is good. Taking them to a trainer is good. Learning how to do it yourself is probably best. And what you do want to do is... Uh, make a command list. So if you're teaching your dog sit, it should be sit every time, not sit. And then sometimes sit down and then sometimes sit down Rover, you know, pick one thing and stick with it. It'll not that your dog can't learn any other way. It's just they'll learn faster. 
with like a command list that everybody in your house uses too. get everybody in your house on the same page. Consistently is huge. Consistency is huge when training a pet. Uh, okay. Next thing is uh, the news. Any pets in the news? The only thing I've saw that was interesting <laughs> to me today was um, check this out. No, we're getting through these segments. We're banging them out. So this one, it says that they're going to start using animal facial recognition technology for lost pets. Oh, Great. my God. I think that's a good idea, but I don't think that it's going to be I don't think it's going to work, man. I think too many dogs look the same, like purebred dogs look too identical. Nah, they're gonna, I guess you could say that about well, people, in the right? beginning. It's not going to work. But you watch. Do you know what they're doing in China these days? Did you hear about this? No, what? The government Tell is me. introducing full-on gover- countrywide face recognition technology. They, there was this video I saw last week on the web. This guy, they, there was a concert, a rock concert, like 40,000 people went. And every, they had the cameras at the gate when you were checking your tickets, and they showed the police officer wearing the body cam. Two police officers go into the stadium mid-show and arrest this guy who had been wanted by the government because they recognized him by facial technology when he went through the gate, and they had already had his face in the database and the facial technology recognition technology worked and they arrested the guy and then they broadcast and showed everybody hey look don't fuck around we're watching you wow that's crazy 2018 yeah well look i mean what's gonna happen 2019 2020 like this shit's coming not to suddenly make it sound like doomsday but no i think all right i'm like pro and con on it i I can see the pros and the cons so i mean that that's whatever man it's coming it's coming so you better have all your shit together don't be hiding too much you you know they're gonna find out there's no gonna be no more secrets like joe rogan says at one point it's gonna be like pointless to lie because there's gonna be some kind of technology that's gonna let us know the truth uh so get get lying out of your habits uh and i'm and i love government get lying out of your habits government yeah, the government, they're already getting taken down, man. That's why nobody trusts the government, because they get caught lying all the time. But, I mean, Trump is still our president, so I just think government's a joke. Man. That, but we need government, so comedians we need, we need We need smaller levels of it, right. I mean, that's a whole, that's a conversation for another podcast. Another podcast. All right, so the next uh, news article I liked was, why you should keep marijuana away from your pets. All right, so I don't like to talk about marijuana on the podcast because it's too much of a heated topic for all of my comedian friends that are all pro-pot. And, you know, I have my professional career to worry about, so I can't be... It's illegal, all right? So uh, we have to keep it away from pets just because, you know, you wouldn't want to force any animal to take a drug. That's my opinion. You don't want to force animals to take drugs, so keep marijuana away from your pet unless... It's prescribed by some doctor, which I'm sure there's vet holistic medicine doctors out there prescribing cannabis for your pets. Um, okay, so that was my only pet question. That was my pet news. Uh, nice segment, let's sir. see. Thank you. And my pet peeve for the day is just uh, I don't know what. I, I don't have any today. Let's 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 keep it at that. I'm feeling good. I'm glad I had my friend Richard Lucchese on the podcast. Uh, what do you what are you guys promoting right now? Steph's paintings? Follow Stephanie on Instagram, instagram.com slash hollyubak, H-A-L-L-Y-U-B-A-C-K, hollyubak. And um, you can see all her paintings. She posts a blog about each and every painting that she creates on hollyubak.com. That's where all her paintings are posted. You can read about them, um, check them out. We put uh, high-definition, high-resolution images up, and you can see them, and you can inquire if you're interested in purchasing. All right, so we're going to put all that information on the descriptions where we can find Steph's paintings and all the other content that Holly Ubeck is putting out there. Uh, we, are you guys doing any shows? You, I know you guys are doing some like live stuff. Any, any of that going on? Yeah, man. Uh, on a Tuesday, not every Tuesday because we are just so busy, but we have created this new live show about two months ago where we cover 10 news topics. We bang them out. We do two minutes each topic for 10 topics, and then we do a little intro, and then we try to answer comments at the end. So it's roughly 30 minutes long and we broadcast it live on our main channel hollyback on youtube if you search hollyback it's pretty popular it's amazing how many people tune in live and then of course it becomes a video afterwards people can watch it after it's been broadcast okay okay we'll go people are check that out and you guys that are watching this because you love richard and steph check out my uh stand-up special that's on youtube uh don't judge me check out my content on instagram and twitter you can find me albert escobedo 
at Albert M. Escobedo on Twitter and at Albert Escobedo on Instagram. You can find the Pet Peeves Podcast at Pet Peeves Podcast on Instagram and at Pet Peeves Pod on Twitter. And you can check me out. I'm going to be doing shows in Chicago uh, coming up this month in what we're in April. Next month in May, I do have to do a work trip. I'm going to be in Dallas trying to put some shows together. So if you guys are in Dallas, May 5th through the 12th, I'll be out there uh, trying to find some shows to do. So I'm going to hit up some uh, Dallas comedians, some Texas comedians, see if I can get booked. That would be dope. Uh, Check out it. Yeah, man, I can't wait to do any road shows. Maybe you could even record a podcast there there too. That would be awesome with one of the comedians. Hell Yeah. I'm going to look into that. And then we're going to be uh, – th- some of the stuff I did at the Maumee Mary and Joseph Comedy Festival is going to be put out on the internet. So watch out for that stuff. Uh, the shows I did last week at my first comedy festival. Keep an eye out for that. We're going to be doing more interviews for the Pet Peeves podcast coming up here in the future with my friend Jeff Talbot, my friend uh, Cesar Lazardo, and uh, my cousin Angel Escobedo, who just got the head wrestling coach position at Indiana University. So we're going to have some really interesting guests coming up. Keep an eye out for all those, you guys. Pet Peeves Podcast, Episode 9, Part 2, Richard Lucchese. Holla, you back. Woo-hoo! Thank you guys for listening. What a fun experience. Thank you so much, Albert. You're welcome, man. Have a good one. Later. Thank you.